The Athletic. The only way to score is, of course, to play uh, with a hand break off. Hello, I'm Ian Stone. This is Handbreak Off, the Arsenal podcast brought to you by The Athletic. We're talking to you the morning after we suffered our second defeat this season. Uh, 3-1 in the Carabao Cup away at West Ham at the London Stadium. Uh, I'm joined by Amy Lawrence and James McNicholas. Uh, morning. Not a good morning, but morning anyway. Morning. It's yeah. a morning. Yeah. It is a morning. Well, I think we can call this the Contractual Ob- Obligation podcast, really. <laughs> We have to do it, right? And I don't mind doing it. It's lovely to chat, and I hope you don't mind listening as well. Before we talk about what we saw last night, Reese Nelson, for the celebration of Black History Month, uh, Reese gave a really excellent interview on Arsenal.com talking about his experiences growing up, the Gunners championing of black players and why representation is important. It's an excellent read, and I urge you to check it out if you haven't already. Uh, one of the one of the things he talked about, of course, was uh, inspirations, saying people like Rocky and Ian Wright. They were people that my granddad and brother would pinpoint as the players to represent Arsenal and the players to aspire to be like. Growing up then, who do you want to be like? James, I've read your marvellous book about your granddad. Yes. Um, did You didn't particularly want to be a boxer, did you? I thought, well, did you for a while? <laughs> but obviously it would have been an inspiration, I would have thought. Yeah, he was definitely high up there, actually. He was such a, you know, he was, he was a world champion and... I, I didn't want to be a boxer at all. Last thing I wanted to be uh, and last thing I should ever do. But he did sort of give me that belief that, you know, if you really want to do something, you can do it. You can make it happen for yourself because he sort of came from nothing and made something of himself. And that probably imbued in me just that confidence to be like, well, maybe I will turn talking about football and doing bits of comedy into a living uh, so I, I think I do owe him for that probably. So yeah, I, I, I mean, listen, I had other heroes. Ian Wright was a massive hero of mine, you know, the same as Reese Nelson. He was a brilliant footballer, but also kind of a clown, which I loved. But yeah, my, my granddad would be right up there. Amy, what about you? Well, I had problems with this because probably everyone I aspired to be like, I had no chance of being like. Uh, however, Debbie Harry was one of them, of Blondie. I wasn't blonde and didn't shit. I wasn't from New York. I didn't quite have the fuck off punk vibe at the age of seven or whatever it was. But yeah, she was probably the first person I wanted to be like. And then I'd say from a football perspective, another kind of epic fail. But um, yeah, I, I clearly remember trying to be, trying to do a bit of David Rowcastle with the netball in a netball lesson at school and getting a detention because girls weren't allowed to play football in those days. So, yeah, that'd be mine. Yeah, uh, I've gone down the music route as well, as you would probably imagine if you heard me talking at any time in the last 20 years. Um, I mean, Paul Weller was just a huge inspiration. He came along at just the right time for me. I'm 13 years old. I hear his music and I think him, him, that mind, that anger, all of that stuff. Weller would be the one musically. Football-wise, Liam Brady, I guess. Liam Brady was the first real football hero I had. I was just a little bit too young for Charlie George. I was aware of him and I loved him lying on the pitch in 71 in the cup final in that sort of uh, messianic pose after he'd scored the winning goal. But Liam Brady, I saw 
I don't know, every week for about four or five years. And I just thought he was better than everyone else. And I loved, loved watching him. He was left-footed, so it was slightly weird for me because there was absolutely no way I could reproduce any of that stuff with my right foot. But with my left foot, I'd just end up falling over. So uh, anyway, those are the heroes and the inspirations, really. And it is a great piece. And you should have a read of that. Uh, from Reese. one of maybe one of our bright spots last night. Um, 3-1 to West Ham. Ramsdale in goals. Zinchenko, Kivior, Gabriel White, Jorginho, Havertz, Vieira, Trossard, Nketiah, and Nelson. Um, Adrian, I was sitting at a mate's watching this game last night. and <laughs> Sorry, where's Adrian? Uh, You're going to struggle for an Adrian? answer on that one, Ian, I think. <laughs> Adrian, where are you? We all miss him. We all miss him. I know. It's just so sad when he's not here. I want him to be here. James, what do you think Adrian would think of Yeah, what would Adrian say if he was here now? (laughs) What would Adrian say? It's like we should all get wristbands with that, right? (laughs) Um, Anyway, James, I'm going to ask you. I have that on a T-shirt, actually. What would Adrian say? Yeah. What cheesy 80s tune would Adrian choose? I wouldn't have that on a T-shirt. <laughs> We're going to keep all this, right? We're going to keep all this. Because anything to not have to face the grim reality of what we watched last night. Uh, James, I was watching this with a mate and it occurred to me. And and it, and listen, I think uh, Reese Nelson and uh, Leandro Trossard have done amazing things for Arsenal over the last couple of years. But when you've got Bukayo Saka and Gabriel Martinelli, they are two of the best wingers in the world. They probably get into the top tens, most people's top top tens in the world. There is a big drop-off there, and it it makes a massive difference. It does. I mean, undoubtedly, you know, those two players, he rotated fairly heavily against uh, Sheffield United, didn't he, in the Premier League, but those two stayed on, Saka and Martinelli, because I don't think there is anybody quite in the squad who uh, can match up to what they offer. Um, but it was still a strong 11, I thought, from an Arsenal perspective. I know there were a lot of changes, but I think nine out of the 11 are full internationals. The ones that aren't are Fabio Vieira and Reese Nelson, who obviously lots of caps at youth level all the way up to under 21. You know, I think the team that Arteta picked yesterday, yes, it was one that saw a number of key players rested, but it was also one that was... Certainly good enough to go to West Ham and make more of a fist of it than they did um, and compete better than they did all over the pitch. And I think Arteta knew that, really. And that's why he seemed so frustrated after the game. I mean, you know, we're used to him being a bit grumpy. His post-match demeanour is not always the brightest, but he seemed to be absolutely seething at full-time yesterday. And uh, I understand it because Arsenal didn't really turn up for this game. No. I mean, first 10 minutes, I saw Kai Havertz make a tackle and there were a couple of other moments. And then he sort of just faded away, didn't he, Amy? I mean, I don't, I'm not having a go at him particularly because I think you could have a go at most of the 11 who were on the pitch, certainly at the start. But it was sort of indicative. It was, it was a Havertzian sort of performance from the entire team, wasn't it? Havertzian. <laughs> just taking that in for a moment. It comes with all sorts of complications, it does. that phrase. It does. I actually thought we weren't that bad in the first half, uh, you know, given playing against a pretty strong West Ham team. And they didn't, what, they had a 
no chances of their own, so to speak, uh, no shots on target in the first half. And I think we had a bit of the ball and a couple of chances of our own. It was more that response at half time from the two teams differed radically. And West Ham came out fired up, aggressive, competitive, and Arsenal came out pretty weedy, to be honest. And that's, I think, probably the, the biggest factor in uh, the kind of seething Arteta uh, vibe because you just have to think back to the uh, Amazon documentary and, you know, one of the phrases that I think came out of that and stuck was, you know, win your duels. Yeah. And there was no winning of duels. Uh, or very, very little. And that I think that's the hardest thing to forgive. You know, when it comes to quality of football or strategy or bits of luck and this and that, you know, these are all more open to debate. But I think there has to be a fundamental requirement for um, competing at, at, in 50-50s. And it felt like as you were watching that the second half unfold and West Ham disappeared over the horizon, that our players were getting swatted aside, really, too easily. Yeah. I mean, there was a moment about two minutes in to the second half, James, when um, Fabio Vieira lost the ball and they worked out the other end and worked a very, very good chance. Uh, as Jared Bowen chipped and uh, Rambo saved very well. And it sort of set a tone, didn't it? It did. I mean, I, I agree with Amy on the first half. And I actually think the broader picture of this game, I, I didn't think Arsenal were appalling like I, I I know it's a low bar to set but I did think that 3-1 slightly flattered West Ham um, I just think by the same token I don't think Arsenal did enough really to to make an argument for them to win the game how many saves did um, uh, Fabianski make I mean he he was hardly troubled was he no barely a save barely a save I mean but but equally I would say at the other end of the pitch you know with the exception of that Bowen shot that you mentioned, pretty much every attempt West Ham had ended up in the back of the net. And there was a bit of misfortune there, obviously an own goal, a deflection. But yeah, it, it, I just felt that we were off the pace. I think the Jules point is is correct. I felt that we were sort of second to everything. And when the game started to turn against us, I just didn't have the sense that Arsenal were prepared to dig in. You know, Arteta spoke afterwards about there are certain things you need to do to earn the right to play when you come to a team like West Ham. And we, I think we can presume he's talking about the physical side, winning those battles to just give yourselves a platform to play. And we didn't do that. And uh, it's really, I, personally, I was really disappointed. You know, I know that for a lot of people, this competition is not a priority. I know a lot of people, it's worse than that in their estimation. They don't care about it at all. But for me, uh, I think it's it, it gives these squad players an opportunity to be connected, to feel part of the group, to get minutes. And there is a piece of silverware there in a matter of a few games time. Um, I think it's easy to sort of, chuck it away and say it doesn't matter now when you think, well, we might win the league, we might win the Premier League. But if we get round to spring and those prospects seem less realistic, I will look back at this game and think, it's a shame. It's a shame that we didn't turn up and it's a shame that we didn't perform. I also think that, you know, it, it, it's an interesting look at some of those slightly fringe players. Uh, and and when you, I think when you looked at the lineup and you see a central midfield 
of Jorginho, Havertz and Vieira, you know, there is a worry immediately about the extent to which that trio is going to dominate or control the game. And I think you can, you know, make it's it, it's always easier for players to maybe come in and, and stake a bit of a claim when perhaps one of them's coming in to the more full strength exactly. environment. When they're surrounded by the first team. Yeah, when you've got all three and when, uh, uh, you know, ahead of them is, a again, not the first choice. Um, you know, people have been talking for a long time about wanting to see Jesus and Saka and Martinelli together. Well, that's a completely different trio as well in front, even though they're all players who, you know, well, certainly Trossard and Nketiah play quite a lot of minutes in their own right. Um, but it was hard to get any cohesion. It was hard for them to play collectively. And that must be the frustration. Because I guess when you're training a group all the time, you think they must know each other. They must have those connections. That, you know, things must happen in training. They're not random strangers thrown together for the first time. <laughs> but it didn't really translate onto the pitch. Right. Um, uh, you know, and but you have to think each of those players probably should have looked at that as a kind of opportunity to impress. You know, Arsenal are forever going on about needing a um, a backup to Saka, you know, which is hard to do given how good Saka is. But there's a chance, yeah. you know. And and uh, Kivio, I thought, you know, played really rather well for quite a lot of the game and actually was one of the few that probably did take some responsibility and some capacity to show how good he could be. Um, but it's it's worrying and disappointing to see, I thought Trossard struggled to get in the game, um, but that was partly because there wasn't a lot of option. He wasn't seeing a lot of the ball. Havertz, you know, had moments, but not quite effective enough. <laughs> And Eddie, after we everybody had sang his praises to the high heavens, I think shows exactly why the Eddie conundrum is the Eddie conundrum, which is you can get a game like against Sheffield United where he displays his wares in the best possible way. And then you can get a game where he's not really getting much of a kick and he has one chance that he didn't take. So just, you know, that that searching and yearning for the kind of high bar consistency that means that those players are knocking on the door every game. Yeah. That's what you wanted from a game like West Ham. I almost think that's more important than the result. Didn't get it. Didn't get it, sadly. Um, James, on Eddie, uh, I mean, it, it was essentially a showcase of his inconsistency, wasn't it? Uh, you know, we want him, we so want him to do well. Halem boy, been at the club for years. It's 18 games in a row without an away goal for Eddie. I don't know how much these things mean. He got three at home the other day. But if you're picking the first team and everyone's fit, Gabriel Jesus is in it by a distance, I would suggest. Yeah, if you have the luxury of everyone being fit, which obviously isn't the case at this point in time. And that's another worry, I think, coming out of They're this piling up evening. a bit, aren't it's they? Starting to, yeah. And some of them, <laughs> I mean, if I'd asked you to pick three Arsenal players that might be injured, you probably would have said Thomas Partey, Gabriel Jesus and Emil Smith-Rowe. Um, and they've all gone down in the last week, I'm afraid to say, you know, with different issues. In the case of the strikers, I think it is a big blow. Look, Eddie had a fantastic day the other day, brilliant hat-trick, finished with the armband. Uh, that third goal, you know, it's the sort of goal you only score once you've already scored two in a game, I think. You know, his confidence must have been sky high. Didn't have the impact he would have wanted at West Ham. Probably had our best 
well, apart from the goal we scored, our best chance of the game, he hooked one over from uh, Zinchenko's pass. Nice little move there. And I thought he could have done a bit better. Yeah, but... I think he would have wanted to do a little bit better. But then in Eddie's defence, you know, whenever I see a team like this and the striker looks a bit alienated or disjointed, I, I do have some mm-hmm. sympathy with them because really the striker is like the guy at the end of the production line, you know, and if everything prior to that is a bit disjointed and not coherent, then obviously it's going to affect them. You want an individual player to be able to get themselves into the game. Um, and Eddie didn't do that. So I don't absolve him of responsibility, but I do think... You know, when the machine as a whole isn't functioning, it's difficult for the guy who's, you know, waiting for the ball to arrive at him in the penalty box because it just didn't with any frequency last night. No, when you've got Jorginho Havertz and Vieira as a midfield, it's not going to be quite as good as um, Rice and Erdegaard and uh, one other. Yeah, I thought that (laughs) was the key area, to be honest. I mean, you know, you look at what West Ham have and what they picked. I know they lost Declan Rice in the summer, but they replaced him with Edson Alvarez, who's a very, very physical player. Came in from uh, Ajax, someone at Arsenal had looked at previously. They've got Thomas Suchek in there, who's very physical, especially it turns out on corners, as we discovered with the opening goal. And I, I felt that they won all those battles, basically. And, you know, Declan Rice comes off the bench in the second half. But if we'd p- picked our first team with a player like him in it, and I'm not suggesting we should have done that. I think it was right to rotate, but we probably would have looked quite a different team. Quite. Uh, winning your jewels, Amy. You said it. On that first goal, I mean, if we got VAR, I guess that, that is a foul. Um, <laughs> well, we have. I'm not saying we I should know, have done I know, but the point is we moan when we do have VAR. I we was, moan when we don't have it. I so wasn't moaning. Just, I was, no, I'm, I was just, just stating a fact. Observing. Uh, for I sure, no. Exactly. It would have been, it would have been, it would have been a, a ruled out for sure. Yeah, would it would have done. And then normally. that makes it a different game. We go in nil-nil at half time, and who knows what happens. Um, there's no blame on Rambo, though, really. I mean, it's, it's hard on him because we know how difficult he's finding it. One thing I did notice, though, Amy, last night, the West Ham fans had sort of tagged on to the fact that he's under pressure. And I and I, I thought, oh, my God, this has all come about for I don't know what marginal gain with David Raya. If, if, if that hasn't happened, none of that is going on last night. And I and I... I sort of wondered where he's created a problem when there wasn't one there. I think he's struggled to find an Arsenal supporter who's not a little bit upset about this situation. And a lot of that upset comes out of their fondness and respect for Aaron Ramsdale and the feeling that this has been sort of created out of nowhere and, as you said, without a really obvious uh, gain at this point. Yeah. It's it, it reminds me slightly, I think, of the way Kieran Tierney sort of got phased out. Again, in a way that probably he didn't quite understand and we didn't quite understand either. And even now, I still think that Kieran had defensive qualities that at times would be still be very welcome in this, this squad. But the manager has incredibly fixed ideas and if somebody has to be sacrificed he's ruthless but it is it's hard to watch as a supporter and not feel badly about it because it you know not many people would blame him for any of those goals but it's not a pleasant experience for him and it's a position that he's 
been sort of thrown into without much of his own doing. And there's also, by the way, because we got knocked out, is that, is that one of the avenues for him to come back in has closed uh, now. Mm-hmm. Um, any positives, James? I mean, getting, I don't know, Martin Erdegaard scoring, coming on and scoring and getting a bit of sharpness back, that maybe is it, isn't it? I guess so. I mean, you know, he'd looked pretty off his game prior to the, the rest against Sheffield United. I have to say, actually, I wasn't particularly thrilled to see him come on. And I would apply the same to the likes of Declan Rice, Bukai Saka, Gabriel Martinelli. Really? Yeah. For me, the game was over. It was over. And and I said that. My wife actually said to me, how can you say that? It's 20, 25 minutes to play, you know, some of the things you've seen in football. But I don't know. I mean, I've watched a lot we of football in my life. And I, <laughs> I, I think that game was done. And I didn't see the value or the benefit of bringing those guys on. You know, especially in the case of Odegaard, where Arteta sat and told the media on Saturday, yeah, he's been carrying a groin problem. We wanted to give him the rest. Why chuck him on for the last 20 minutes of a game you've already lost? I don't know. That, that's just my game, perspective. It? it almost felt like a training game. I felt differently. Amy, you're saying you agree with James, really, that you well, wouldn't Well, funny enough, just from a kind of emotive point of view, I was a little bit disappointed when Rice came on. And yeah, I understood it, but I felt like, in a way, if you're going to change it, what was it, 2 nil at that point um, and 25 minutes to go or something, then bring on like five players, like change the whole lot, then give yourself a proper platform to see if you can get back in the game. But making an impression and troubling Fabianski was a problem. And, you know, the players who came on were defensively orientated. And I just felt like for, for Rice, you're giving him a, an unnecessary bad experience, which he probably didn't deserve either. I'm sure he's big enough to cope with it but West Ham fans as is their right you know a lot of them were enjoying the opportunity to uh, give them a give him a bit of a piece of their mind about leaving yeah there was it was and sort of, yeah. that you know you're throwing him into a game that's unlikely very very unlikely to end well for Declan Rice and I just thought he's it yeah I didn't know that there was much value in it either. Mikel would probably say, you know, I've got to go, I've got to do everything I can to rescue the game, right? I'm sure that's what mm-hmm. he would say back But then to us. was was it going to be rescued when when the the all the offensive players were not making any inroads anyway? Yeah. I don't know. Well, probably not, but he's got to be seen to be doing something is, is what he would say, mm. I guess. It felt a bit half-baked in a way, the changes. I agree, yeah, the last 25 the minutes were a training game. Really were a training game. It's defence against it. It's like the, the reserves have gone 3-0 up. Now we'll put the first team on, see how you cope, 3-0 up. But anyway, um, let's never talk of that again. <laughs> Um, <laughs> Thanks. We are done with this competition. Most fans didn't want it anyway. Uh, what we'll do is uh, we'll have a break and then we'll come back and we'll talk about uh, Newcastle away. And by the way, if we win that, I, I don't care about this. And uh, we'll talk about that after the break. Ian Stone, Amy Lawrence and uh, James McNicholas, who I want to be Adrian, it turns out. <laughs> He's my hero. He was my hero. (laughs) He was my inspiration (laughs) growing up, even though he was a child and I was a grown man. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, here on Handbrake Off, the Arsenal podcast brought to you by The Athletic. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? 
Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. We better a bit uh, with the handbrake at time. Ian, Amy, and James here on Handbrake Off. Newcastle away on Saturday night. Uh, they had a good night last night. They beat Man United 3-0 at Old Trafford, although it seems that most teams can do that. Joe Willock got a fantastic goal. Lovely, lovely goal, causing quite a lot of discussion amongst certain WhatsApp groups that I'm members of. Well, in a Havertzian manner, you mean. In a, in a Havertzian. You want to use that, <laughs> don't you, now? I, I know, I, th- yeah, I understand uh, why. Uh, it uh, is a good word, isn't it? It, it yeah. is a good word. Um, Look, Saturday, Newcastle away, that game last season was just one of my favourite things to watch. But my God, it was a bit on the edge, Amy, the first 15 minutes. We know they're going to come at us. We know they are. But I quite like it when teams come at us because it means we can play our football. Uh, uh, I'm I'm quite like uh, delighted that we got such practice in winning our duels before heading up to Newcastle. <laughs> That'd be great yeah. for kind of onslaught in the first... 10, 15 minutes. Um, <laughs> look, it, it, somehow the team have got to get it into their heads that they're going to have to be ultra, ultra, ultra competitive to get something out of this game. As they were last year, you know. It's um, it's not an easy place, is it? Uh, since they changed their whole methodology up there. And yeah, Arsenal will have to be a lot closer to their best. It's a good opportunity to try and find that best because I don't think it's been hit all that often this season yet. No. I think, still think we're looking for the the upper gears and I still think we're looking for the kind of like that, that beautiful moment when a team is just in the zone. Everybody's on it at the same time. It's just been like glimpses of that here and there rather than something that's been managed for a long period. So it'll be interesting to see if... Uh, Actually, it might almost suit Arsenal in some ways to be. I wouldn't say underdogs, but to you know, to know that there can't be any chinks in the armor, any slackage. Quite. And and James, what about that point? I mean, I watched Newcastle a few times this season in the Champions League, and they played against Dortmund. And Dortmund are a really, really good team, and they just picked them off. And I think we're capable of doing the same thing. And I know that with those fifty-five thousand Geordies. Uh, screaming them on they will want to attack and I think they'll leave space for us yeah that could play into Arsenal's hands potentially I think we also play them at a decent time you know, we've spoken about the Arsenal squad starting to carry a few injuries but Newcastle have got a lot more you know key players like Isaac like Botman uh, Harvey Barnes Tonali is obviously suspended so their squad is a little lighter than it was I think that even uh, is it Matt Target went off with an injury yesterday during the game for them so I think that could help us. Uh, it's not the strongest Newcastle squad right now. I think it'll be a really, really tight game. I think the margins will be super fine, as they were when we won there last season. You know, it was a great victory, but one, as you mentioned, with some hairy defensive moments and some important saves along the way as well. It's a big match, actually, for Arsenal, a big test. I think every team that goes to St James's part this season, it's going to be a huge test for them. And... Yeah, I think for many people, if we can get away with uh, a win, or to be honest, I think even a draw is a decent result, then then some of the sins of what happened at the London Stadium will be 
uh, forgiven, I imagine. Is that, Amy? I mean, I feel that. I said that to my pal last night about a draw. Amy, do you feel the same way? I, I mean, last season it felt like we had to win every game. But I, I think this, this, the standard of the league is a bit. There's five or six teams who seem to be able to take points off each other, and so a draw away at Newcastle in a in a normal football season would be considered an excellent result. Yeah, I also think it's a big week generally because the Champions League is coming straight after with home game against Sevilla, and um, you know they showed that they could be dangerous in the away match, and I think. You know, in an ideal world, this is a really good springboard week with a good result in the Prem and uh, a, a good result in the Champions League would pretty much see Arsenal through and make first place look look a very strong possibility. So, it, you know, that's the absolute explanation for the West Ham team selection because, you know, it's a big, it's a big four days. It's not just a big, uh, big Newcastle trip. And uh, James, uh, Takahiro Tomiyasu, it's sort of looking a little bit like the manager is changing his thinking now. Obviously, Zinni will play against, uh, certainly will play against uh, some of the lesser teams. But when you're going away at Newcastle, the sort of things that Tommy brings, that defensive solidity that we know that Zinni doesn't have. I mean, if we were playing Real Madrid in the quarterfinal of the Champions League, Tommy would be in there, right? It's starting to move that way. I think the fact that Zinchenko was picked for the Carabao game was telling in itself, you know. Yeah. And I think that kind of sort of serves to tell us what Arteta's thinking about his lineup for St James's Park. And I'm not surprised. Tommy Asu's been in good form. I think he is the better defender. I think you could look at Zinchenko's defending maybe on certainly one of those West Ham goals last night, that long crossfield pass over the uh, over the top of him. I didn't think he covered himself in glory there. And nor can you necessarily expect him to. I mean Yes, he plays left-back, but he's never really been a natural defender and all the other aspects he brings to his game are fantastic and I think there are absolutely times to use those, but I'm not sure St. James's Park is necessarily one. I expect Tommy Asu to play. And One thing I think is sort of worth considering and I would have been really fascinated to see is just how many of these minutes might have gone to Jurian Timber, who played a lot at left-back in pre-season, started the season at left-back for us. I think played there as well in the Community Shield, which we won, of course. Um, he is a player who can do a lot of that Zinchenko stuff, dropping into midfield, playing passes between the lines. But he's also a guy who relishes the duels, the physical aspects, uh, the defensive side of the game. Yeah, I just wonder if when he came in, was that what Arteta was thinking? You know, this guy could maybe shore up that left-hand side without losing some of that on-the-ball ability. Now, listen, Tommy Asu's doing great. Don't get me wrong. But yeah, I, I, I'll be fascinated to see when Timber eventually comes back, how that all plays out. Quite. Uh, let's have um, let's have a song, shall we? Uh, James, what song would uh, Adrian have picked? <laughs> he might have picked this actually um, so I was thinking about the game and the way in which we lost the game and watching West Ham celebrate uh, on the pitch at the end and uh, I went for the Beastie Boys you've got to fight for your right to party and Arsenal didn't last night and they paid the consequences Uh, 
did. Uh, Amy? Well, because uh, I thought of Debbie Harry earlier and Blondie, I've gone for a song of Parallel Lines, my very first album, because uh, it was all a bit yesterday, so I know, but I don't know. Great start from for your album buying. By I know. The way. I mean, um, uh, that's why. That's, that's why I mentioned it because, like, it's quite hard to top yeah, that. Really, yeah. um, I'm having uh, moving on up by Primal Screen because that's how I feel. <laughs> we are. I, that's how I feel. We have to be. more hope than anything but um and a certain amount of expectation as well because these boys let's not forget they've lost two games uh, out of about Sorry. 15 <laughs> My, uh, rocky's trying to eat some chip oi get down <laughs> we're keeping this in uh, he, he nearly got the leftover chips from last night's dinner not mine How by the way leave stuff out we left no, some chicken no, out no, in the no, kitchen been, the other day and the cat oh, it's been it, reheated I mean. this morning by one of the boys Chips and left breakfast. on the kitchen table. The breakfast yep. of champions. <laughs> Lovely. Um, <laughs> that'll uh, do for this podcast. We're back after Newcastle away at the weekend. Thanks to Adrian. <laughs> thanks <laughs> to James. I think Adrian's contribution was particularly telling. Uh, and thanks to Amy. Uh, and thanks to Jay, our producer. Thank you for listening, listener. And uh, we'll see you after the weekend. I'm Ian Stone. This has been Handbreak Off. <laughs>